You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and this is Jesus speaking to uh, John, and I'm going to, you've probably got it on the King James, which is good. I'm going to update the language just because it's easier, and so you can get it on the King James and the New King James. Jesus saying to to the Apostle Peter, actually, um, in the Gospel of John, but he's addressing the Apostle Peter, in this passage. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, I'll Uh, use a few more verses later on. But right now, I want to give you this title, Follow Me. You may be seated. Follow me. So simple, but not simplistic. It's so simple that even a child can understand it and obey it. Even a child can be born again. But it's so profound that you'll spend the rest of your life trying to fulfill that command. Follow me. Now, when you read the story of John 21, Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. He appeared to his disciples, and he was with a small group of them, and he approached the apostle Peter. Now, just a few days earlier, Peter had boastfully said, even if everyone else would forsake you, I will never forsake you. And I think he was sincere. He meant that. I will fight to the death to defend you, Jesus. And Jesus said, little do you know, before before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me not once, but three times. It's just going to be before the next morning, you're going to deny the very words you just said. And, of course, the apostle Peter said, no way. But he did. Three times. And so in this story, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Well, of course, we'll feed my sheep. And Jesus asked a second time, do you love me? I've got a job for you to do. And then the third time. So I I sort of think Jesus was asking three times, maybe to give him three, you know, reverse the three denials. But in any case, he was certainly emphasizing it, right? I mean, when you ask the same question three times in a row, there must be a reason. You're trying to emphasize it. Well, that third time, Peter got just a little grieved because he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Why would you keep asking me? And so Jesus explained, well, Peter, you're young, you're strong. You get up in the morning, you put on your clothes, you gird your garment around you, you do whatever you want to do. So it's easy to say, Lord, I love you. But one day you're going to be old. And somebody else is going to capture you, and they're going to bind you, and they're going to take you where you would not want to go. In other words, signifying that Peter would give his life for the gospel. Now, he says, follow me. It's amazing, isn't it? The Lord doesn't pull punches. The Lord doesn't try to disguise or deceive. He's very honest. Serving me will require a sacrifice. But knowing that, do you still love me? And will you follow me? And of course, that's the basis of all meaningful relationships. You know, we've got some college kids here. So if a young man comes to the young lady and says, I really love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And will you marry me? And she says, well... Let me think about this. Uh, Is there anybody else more handsome that's going to come along a little bit later on? Is there anybody that makes more money that's going to come along? I'll let you know in a few weeks. Well, you might as well just leave. Because the vow is for better or for worse. 
you've got to get to the point where you may not be fully rational, but at least you've got to say, I'd rather spend the rest of my life with you despite the hardship than to spend my life without you and no hardship. And that's certainly the way it's got to be when it comes to following Jesus. He says, follow me. Well, of course, the Apostle Peter, I mean, this is quite a challenge. And he does love the Lord. He does want to follow the Lord. But there's something nagging him in the back of his mind. And he looks over and sees John. Now, Jesus loved all the disciples. But on a human level, he and John had more in common. They were best friends. In other words, as God, Jesus loved everybody equally. But as a human, he had more in common to have conversation with John maybe than Peter. In fact, at the, at the Last Supper, John was at the favored place leaning up next to him. And when Jesus started talking about these strange things, somebody here is going to betray me, what did Peter do? He said, hey, hey, John. Ask him who it is. If anybody can get it out of him, it'll be John. Not John knows how to do it. So Peter knew there was that special connection, that special relationship. And so Peter looks over at John and says, what about him? You know, if anybody gets a special deal, it will be John. If anybody has an exception, it will be John. Now, Lord, you know me. You know I love you. You know, I'm willing to die for you. I really am. But I'd kind of like to know, are you going to ask John to die for you too? I mean, and according to history, John was the only one of the 12 that did not die a martyr's death. So, so maybe Peter had some basis for thinking this. And so if you read... Continue on, verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? So before I make my final commitment, is there a better offer? Does someone else get a better deal? Am I going to be blessed as much as John? Is John going to have to sacrifice as much as me? I want to reserve my final answer until I have all the information. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now you would expect Jesus to have some wonderful theological answer. God loves all men equally, and everything will even out in the end. And whatever sacrifice you make, others will make equivalent. And whatever blessings you get, and, and it'll all, by the time eternity unfolds, it'll all be fair and equal. But that's actually not what Jesus said. He said, you know, it's really none of your business. If I want to give him a special favor, he stays alive till I come again. So what? You either love me or you don't. And love doesn't look for external justification. Love does not look for special deals. Love is a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Love involves commitment. Love involves sacrifice. It doesn't matter what plan I have for John. I'm challenging you directly. You follow me. I'm preaching to young people today. I'm preaching to college students today. I'm preaching to families. I'm preaching to senior citizens. Each of us needs our own personal relationship with God. In this conference, each one of us needs to hear from God. It doesn't really matter how much somebody else gives. It doesn't really matter what somebody else's ministry might or not might not be we need to hear from God we need to hear the voice of God and we need to do what God tells us to do at the end of the day Jesus says follow me follow me praise God in Mark 10 there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus he said how can I be saved and I didn't I didn't give it to them to 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 put on the screen, but you can take a look at it. I'll just paraphrase it. So this young man comes to Jesus. He's very wealthy. 
He says, what can I do to inherit good life, the eternal life? Well, Jesus says, you know everything. You know the Ten Commandments. You know what you're supposed to do. And, and, and this young man was, actually he was eager. The Bible says he came running to Jesus. Eager, zealous. And he kneeled at the feet of Jesus. So he was humble. He was submissive. And you know, he really wanted to know the truth. And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. He said, well, well Lord, I've been, I've been trying to live that way all my life. So he's a good moral person. So in other words, he'd be a good church member of almost any church. Isn't that right, Brother Carter? If you had someone who was zealous, humble, moral, sign them up right now. Put them on the church board. No questions asked. And Jesus looked at this young man with compassion. He said, you know, you're only lacking one thing. Go sell what you have. Give to the poor. Follow me. And it wasn't, he wasn't preaching against money. What he was saying is, if you really love God, you have to love God more than your money. That's the first commandment is love God. And if you really love people, like you say, you said you follow all the commandments. Well, you should be willing, whatever God's will is, to help other people. If you're supposed to give money to help other people, well, you should be willing to do that. The young man thought about it. He became very sorry because he was so rich, he didn't see how he could do it. He turned around and walked away. He only lacked one thing. The one thing was not giving up his money. The one thing was commitment. The one thing was loving God first. The, love, the one thing was loving others as you love yourself. He couldn't see how if he would make that commitment, God could supply his needs. He might have ended up even richer by the time it was over with. Because others who followed Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. So you can't predict, even if he did make a sacrifice, he couldn't predict what the future would be. But he wasn't willing to try, and he walked away. And if you keep reading that story in Mark, sure enough, the good old Apostle Peter spoke up. You know, he gets a little prominent treatment. I think he kind of represents all of us. He just says what we're thinking. So he says, Lord, because they all watched this rich man walk away. And Peter says, Lord, uh, we actually did what this man wouldn't do. We have left everything to follow you. What about us? And Jesus said, look, I'll tell you this. Anybody who's left houses, lands, father, mother, sister, brother, for my sake and the gospel's sake, you will receive a hundredfold in this life with persecutions and the life to come, eternal life. In other words, Peter, yes, it will be worth it all. You will receive in this life a hundredfold. Think about that. And it's not a monetary calculation, but I will tell you this. If you're following Jesus, if you're serving the Lord, you have a blessed life. Read the stories of the rich and famous on planet earth. The people who've achieved all their dreams. Read the stories of the politicians, the royalty, the movie stars, the sports stars. And then ask yourself if you would like that kind of life. Multiple affairs, divorce, alcohol, drugs, their best friends betraying them and write tell-all books about them. They can't even have peace when they sleep at night. And you and me, if we, even if we don't have much money, we can have a family that lives for God. We can go to bed at night and be at peace and sleep, and we're not worried about what happens in the morning. We have joy, unspeakable and full of glory. That's in this life. We get a hundredfold blessings in this life. Not even to mention eternal life. But Jesus, being honest, is going to always tell us the truth. You will have persecutions. You will have trials. We'll have temptations. Don't, don't think it's strange, the Apostle Peter later wrote after learning his lesson. Don't think it's strange if you go through fiery trials. 
But just don't focus on that. God's going to bring you through. You see, what's interesting, the devil paints the false picture. So let's just say he's wanting to entice you. I mean, just take an ad for alcohol. Um, it's not going to show you a car wreck. Uh, you know, take an ad for tobacco. It's not going to show you cancer ward. It's not going to show you, you know, lung cancer x-ray. It's going to show you a macho cowboy riding in the mountains or a beautiful scantily clad woman on an expensive car. It has nothing to do with alcohol or tobacco or anything, but it's just a fake picture. So if you're doing what the devil wants... You're going to have to really enjoy it because this is the best it ever gets. It's all downhill from there. Eternity is really not going to be very enjoyable. So if you buy the devil's lie, this is the maximum it will ever be. But if you're following Jesus, this is the worst it's ever going to be. Coming to the house of God and rejoicing. This is the worst it's going to ever be. Having family and friends that love you no matter what. Having a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Having a pastor to intercede for your soul. That's the worst it's ever going to get. It's only going to get better from here on out. You know, if you follow Jesus, you don't really know where it all is going to be. You're just going one step at a time. You'd like to know where it's going to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now. God doesn't show you, but he just shows you the next step. You're just supposed to follow. And one day, you're walking, and that street's going to turn to gold. You know, I've thought about that in heaven, the streets are gold. Well, what does that mean? The streets are the lowest form of existence down here. Streets are made of common materials, right? Streets are dirty. If you're living on the streets, that's, that's not an enjoyable form of existence. Well, in heaven, the streets are gold. Do I really care what the streets are like in heaven? Not really. I'm not really counting on the gold. But it says the street in heaven is gold, but transparent like glass, pure gold. Well, that's even better than any goal we have here. There's no goal like that here. So I think the real point is not, wow, when you go to heaven, there's going to be streets of gold. No, the point is to describe the least part of heaven, the lowest part of heaven, the insignificant part of heaven, the part of heaven we don't even care about. We have to exhaust the highest and best of human vocabulary and thought just to describe the most insignificant part of heaven. So what's the good part of heaven? I have no idea. Being in the presence of the Lord, being in the presence of the saints and loved ones, exploring trillions of planets and stars and seeing the angels, I have no clue what it's really going to be like. But here's my little point. In heaven, the streets are gold. In heaven, the least significant part is better than the best we have here. If you're living for the Lord, I can't tell you exactly how you'll get there, but I can tell you the end result. If you follow Follow Jesus Christ, you're going to win. If you give it all for Jesus, you'll gain it all. If you sacrifice it all, all will be given a hundred times. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. And so I'm making an appeal tonight, whoever you are, faithful saint of many years, young person, Bible college student, just make up your mind. I'm going to follow Jesus. So this weekend, whatever he tells me to give, whatever he tells me to do, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to support missions. But not only missions around the world, but across the street. What about my neighborhood? What about the unsaved person that I've never met, met that lives within a mile of my home? What about the person at the restaurant or at the grocery store that I've seen a hundred times that I don't even know their name? What about the immigrant? What about the foreign student? Maybe I need to reach out of my comfort zone and just try to share Jesus. Maybe I need to be asking, Lord, what do I need to do today? What do I need to do tomorrow? What do I need to do this weekend? And those of you that are seeking ministry and destiny and life, 
Be open to the will of God. Make up your mind. Whatever it means, I'm going to follow Jesus. He will take you in unknown paths. But I can tell you, I've seen it in my parents' lives. I've seen it in my life. I'm 65 years old. I would have never imagined the different ways that God was going to take me. I was going to be a lawyer. went to law school. I had no clue of where I would be today. But I've learned you don't have to try to plan your career. What you need to do is follow Jesus. If you'll do what you know to be God's will today, he'll show you his will tomorrow. If you'll do God's will this week, he'll show you next week. If you do God's will this year, he'll open the right door next year. But you just got to say, I'll follow you. No matter what, no matter the cost. Now, I'm, I'm molded by my parents, so let me just tell you a little of their story. So my mom and dad, they were involved in church work and all kinds of church work. Helped start a home mission church, but they weren't preachers. My dad had gone to Korea. He was drafted in the U.S. Army, served in the Korean War. Um, but he came back, got married, started a family. But one night, my dad was praying, and a burden got a hold of him. He couldn't stop praying. So he woke up my mom and asked her to pray. I was just a little kid. Obviously, I didn't know anything except I've heard their testimony many times. And uh, so he got my mom up, and they prayed through the night. And there, there were involved, faithful saints in church. He had a good job supporting the home missions church. And at the end of that prayer, they both looked at each other, and they both knew we're called to preach the gospel, we're called to be missionaries, and we're called to go to Korea. So they started the process of preaching, getting their credentials, both my mom and dad had credentials with the UPCI for over 50 years before they passed away. They started a whole missions church in Louisiana because they knew they couldn't just go to Korea with no experience. So they knew there had to be a process. But the whole goal was going to Korea. So after several years, they built up that small church in three years from zero to 100. They had a number of miracle stories. They felt they were ready. They met the district board. They met, the, at that time, the foreign missions board. They were appointed as missionaries. They bought a brand new car to travel across the U.S. This was in late uh, 1963. They went to New Orleans to get the passports. And on the way back, my mom, dad, I was at that time seven years old. I do remember this story. Uh, and my little sister was four years old. And they had a terrible car accident. Uh, we don't really know for sure, but the other driver lost control, veered over to our lane, and head-on collision, their brand-new car was demolished. My dad, both of his arms were broken. The neck and, uh, I mean, the, uh, the nerve in his right arm was severed, so he couldn't use his right hand. His nose was broken. My mother had a brain concussion. Her neck was broken. She just came within a hair's breadth of, of dying. I had a big gash along, all across my head, uh, which over the years has receded, but I use it for my part so that you don't know that it's actually a scar. And my little sister was unhurt. And so that wreck put them in the hospital for six weeks. And uh, just as a side note, when my dad recovered, he went to the doctor. The doctor said, you know, your nerve is severed. It cannot be regenerated. You'll never use your right hand again. So we went on deputational travel for about six months, uh, getting prayed for in every service. And one day, one service, God healed his hand. He went back to the doctor, reached out his hand, shook it, gave the doctor quite a surprise. So my mom's neck was broken. And as I said, she, she lost consciousness, and she was out of it for six weeks. That six weeks of her life were, were totally gone. She never remembered anything of that. So my dad was in the hospital. My sister and I were staying with relatives. Um, so my dad was in the hospital, and he couldn't use either arm. Both arms were in traction. They had to call in a nurse immediately at that time, which that's an interesting story because... She was hungry for God. And so as she 
minister to him in the natural, he began talking to her in the spiritual. And before long, she was repenting of her sins in the hospital room. And he said, you need to go to a United Pentecostal church. She went. She was baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. A few years ago, her son tracked me down. He sent me an email. He said, I've never met you, but he said, my mom has passed away, but she lived the rest of her life in church. He said, all of our family got in church. So please tell your dad, thank you for the witness. My whole family's in church today, and I'm a Pentecostal preacher because your dad witnessed to my mom in the hospital. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of trials, there's a miracle. But that wreck delayed us one year from going to Korea. At that time, there were no United Pentecostal missionaries in Korea. My, my parents were the first. And so my dad has told, told me this story many times, and I've heard him use it. But his neighboring pastor came to visit him in the hospital. Now think about this. So my dad can't use either arm. He can't do the simplest things for himself. He has to have someone to feed him, brush his teeth, change his clothes. His wife is in the next room unconscious. They don't know if she's going to live or die. And so the preacher, the friend, says, Well, Brother Bernard, God's trying to tell you you missed his will. You're not supposed to go to Korea. God's blocking this. You're not supposed to go. And my dad looked at him from flat on his back in that bed and said, I know God spoke to me. God only has to tell me one time what to do, and I'm going to do it. So that's why I'm here today. Now, that was almost 60 years ago. That was in 1963. But I, my life was shaped because my dad could have said, you know, he's right. It's too difficult. It's too much of a commitment. It's not possible. And I hope my dad would have still lived for God, but my life would have certainly turned out a lot differently had my dad not been willing to say, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. The full impact didn't come home to me until my dad's funeral five and a half years ago. Brother Jerry Jones was our general secretary at headquarters at that time, and he was not able to attend, but he wrote a letter. And this was his story. He was a young man that felt the call of God on his life, but he didn't feel qualified. So he went to college, and he was going to pursue a career. And as a college student, he attended a mission service. My dad spoke and gave his testimony. God only has to tell me one time what to do, and I'm going to do it. And here's what Brother Jones told me and told all of us in his letter. He said when Brother Bernard Sr., gave his testimony and made that statement. He said, God talked, spoke to me and said, how many times do I have to tell you? And that's when he publicly acknowledged his call to preach. He deferred his college, although he later finished at Urshan College and Urshan Graduate School. So God, God kind of has a sense of humor, you know? Whatever you give up, God can find a way to restore it in ways you had no clue of what he was capable of doing. So, Brother Jones launched on a very successful, profitable ministry, became general secretary, and still is a very powerful preacher and a professor today. When I heard him state that at headquarters, the two full-time officials that are and, uh, you know, leading headquarters of the general superintendent, general secretary. And I thought, when my dad, as a young man in his 30s, a new preacher lying flat on his back, incapacitated, not knowing if his wife is going to live or die, and he had to face that decision, are you going to follow Jesus no matter what? When he said, God only has to tell me one time what to do, and I'm going to do it. He had no way of knowing that the entire United Pentecostal Church of Korea would be a product of that one decision. That many preachers, and not only preachers in Korea, but they started a military ministry. Many preachers in America have been a result of that one decision.
There's no way he could know the future general superintendent of the UPCI would be molded by that decision. There's no way he could know the general secretary of the UPCI would be molded by that decision. But that crucial decision that day changed the trajectory of many lives. Could it be that one decision today, should the Lord tarry, you have no idea what it will mean. And you may not fully realize it until heaven. But a financial commitment you make or a, a decision to teach a Bible study that results in a soul or a call to preach or a confirmation of your ministry, what could be the consequences of simply responding to Jesus when he says, follow me? Now, I just told you a very brief story, and we could say they lived happily ever after. But I will have to say, we finally did get on the ship and go to Korea. The ship caught on fire, so that was an interesting story. It almost got blown up, but uh, if you want to know the full story, I do have a little book called To the End of the Earth. You can buy it and read it. And uh, I could just tell you story after story. I remember one of our pastors in Korea today, Brother Lee, that he was a teenager in high school or junior high or high school, and he became a Christian. He began coming to church, became following the Lord, received the Holy Spirit. His family, as many in Korea are, they were ancestor worshipers. They didn't believe in Christianity, but they believed in worshiping the ancestors. And they believed that if they wanted their life to be blessed, they had to worship their ancestors. Otherwise, a curse would come. So when Lee's dad heard that he became a Christian, he got angry. He said, you are going to destroy our family. You're going to bring ruin. You're going to bring curses on our family. This teenage boy refused to waver. His dad kicked him out of the house. And so this teenage boy in school had no place to live. He finally talked to a factory worker that said, I'll hire you in the day and let you sleep in the factory floor at night. And so he went to night school. He worked in the day, went to night school, lived in the factory floor. That's how he finished high school. He felt a call to preach, so he wanted to go to Bible college. He didn't have any money for room and board. So my dad gave him a scholarship and said, look, you can sleep in my office. Don't tell anybody. But in the day, you have to hide your little, you can sleep on the floor of my office. But in the day, you have to roll up the mat and hide it so I can use my office. And that's how he went to Bible college, sleeping on the floor of my dad's office. He became a United Pentecostal pastor. He's still a pastor today. His son came to America, Josh, Joshua. That's not his real name. When he came as a little child, his dad said, I want you to give him an American name. So I got to name him. I named him Joshua. He just graduated from Urson College, what was it, last year, and got married. So I'm not talking about theoretical stories. I'm not talking about 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about United Pentecostal believers and preachers right here and now who made great sacrifices for the kingdom of God. I can tell you lots of stories even after becoming general superintendent. Um, but, uh, for example... But, but I'll tell you some stories before. So some of the stories recently, I don't want to be too specific because there are security issues involved, and you, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, I'll tell you, under communism, um, back in the late 80s, mid-80s, late 80s, Eastern Europe and Russia were still under communism. We had believers there, but we couldn't work openly. So because I'd written some books um, and I had a teaching ministry that thought, you know, we can let you come without big fanfare, without big meetings, no publicity, and we can have you come in homes, teach underground, teach our leaders. If you'll bring in some books, we'll translate them, and, and we'll just copy them on copy machines and go under the radar there, and so we'll do this. So, as it turned out, I was invited to a number of the communist countries, uh, but one in particular in Bulgaria... We'd never had a United Pentecostal meeting in the history of that country. But we had an open door. 
A Bulgarian lady had received the Holy Ghost in our church in Austria. She had translated my book, The Oneness of God, and uh, she had it typed in Bulgarian in manuscript form. And so at that time, Brother Sam Balsa, who's, uh, he's recently retired, but he lives right here in Canada, um, he was the missionary working in those eastern countries. So he arranged a seminar where we would try to introduce the oneness message to the country. My wife was brave enough to come with me, even though she was expecting our second child. And so we crossed the border into Bulgaria by car. And Brother Balsa had a very good plan. It made a lot of sense at the time. He said, look, we have to go across as tourists, and we're just going to hope they just look at us. We're Westerners. We've got lots of money, and they just wave us on. But if they search our vehicle, they will find this manuscript that we're carrying. So if we hide it carefully, it will be obvious that we're smugglers. We knew what we were doing was wrong, and we'll be in serious trouble. So he says, let's just throw it in the back of the car, you know, underneath the, the window and just put something over it so it'll just be on the back shelf of the car. And if they just wave us on, we're good. If they search the car, they'll pick up this manuscript right off and they'll just think we're so foolish and so ignorant, we didn't even know you could do that. And so they'll confiscate the manuscript, but they'll let us go free. Sounds like a good plan, right? Until you get to the border and the captain of the guard says, take this car to the garage. So now we know we're going to be searched. Now we know they're going to find the manuscript. Now what? So they take us to this garage, specially built for this purpose. They drive us over a well. And so they get underneath the car, trying to see if we've got anything attached. They go to the front, to the back. They have tools. They're ready to tear out the carpet and the paneling. They're feeling every inch of the car. I'm reading a National Geographic, so they take it and they... It's English language, so they're wondering, why are you bringing this literature into the country? And I'm thinking, well, it's, it's just casual reading. And I'm thinking, okay, when they get to the back, and they pick up this book in Bulgarian on the cover, The Oneness of God, written in Bulgarian, if they're so upset about a National Geographic in English that has nothing to do with anything, what are they going to say when they pick up this manuscript? So we're all standing on the outside of the car, you know, it is possible. I mean, we, were, we are Pentecostal, so we believe in fervent intercessory prayer. But in cases of necessity, it is possible to pray silently with your eyes open while you're smiling and talking casually to people. And so they get to the back, and we'd put a little package on top of the manuscript. So they picked up the package, tore it open to make sure there was nothing in there. Brother Balsa told me, he says, I watched the guard, his hand brushed right across the manuscript. And the manuscript was exposed. You could see the title standing outside the car. They searched us for 30 minutes. The manuscript was right there. He never saw it. So he walks out of the garage, and Brother Balsa immediately starts joking. And we're thinking, what's wrong with you? And he does this, and he starts telling jokes. So, okay, we go along. And he told us later, he says, what they're going to do is they walk out, and the whole place is bugged, of course. And so you say, thank God. They didn't find it. So then they come back and say, well, what didn't we find? Let's start all over. So he wanted to make sure we made no incriminating remarks while we were supposedly alone. So, okay, we pass across the border. We get to the hotel where we're authorized as foreigners to go. We pay an exorbitant price. A bellman escorts us to our room. And I have to give you a little bit of backstory because, you know, this was communism. And uh, my wife had asked me before we went, now, are you sure there's not going to be any problems? I said, no, we're fine. You know, God's with us. We prayed. There's gonna be, we're American citizens, so they'll, you know, they won't do anything to an American citizen. We're fine. Brother Sism is our director of foreign missions at that time. He had stopped by. He has a wry sense of humor. And so he says, Brother Bernard, I'm so glad you're going to Bulgaria. This will be an amazing opportunity. Um, he said, the first time that we've ever been able to go to Bulgaria, he said, you've got a wonderful ministry just like the Apostle Paul. So I'm thinking, great. He says, yeah, just like the Apostle Paul. If you get arrested, you just keep writing books from jail. You'll be fine. <laughs> 
well, thank you, Brother Sism. So when I told my wife that, she didn't think it was funny at all. So that's the backstory. So the bellman gets to our room. He opens the door. He goes straight to the radio, turns it on, turns it up full blast. And then he says, uh, change money, change money. Uh, he's offering black market exchange of money at a much better price. Well, I didn't want to commit a crime in a communist country. And uh, so I, I said no. And so after he left, I told my wife, we, we better really be careful what we say. She says, well, what's wrong? I said, did you notice before he made that illegal offer, he turned up the radio full blast. So he probably thinks this room is bugged. So we have to be careful. She said, You're, you've been reading too many spy novels, <laughs> which I had. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, we contact our translator. The pastor is supposed to meet us, but they give us instructions, you know, walk out, wait till it's dark, walk outside the hotel room, go two blocks, you know, so you're not visible. So we go two blocks, and all of a sudden a car races up, stops right in front of us, and they motion, so we, we jump in, and uh, then the car starts going like crazy, zigzagging across the streets, up the mountainside, uh, just going like crazy, and my wife asked the translator, uh, is he doing this on purpose, or does he always drive like that way? That way? She says, well, he drives like that way, but he is trying to make sure nobody's going to follow us. So we go to this mountaintop restaurant where they're doing Bulgarian folk dance and music. We meet with the pastor, and he says, um, you know, we can talk safely here because nobody can overhear us, nobody can bug us. And he says, I just want you to be careful because there was a Trinitarian preacher that came a few months ago, and uh, he was unwise. He he let people overhear his conversation. They found out he was coming to preach in our church. And so one night, three men uh, burst through his door, knocked down the door of his hotel room. They went in there, beat him up. And he said he reported to the police. The police just laughed at him and said, oh, yeah, we heard about that. So we heard they found a woman in your room. So if you'd like to make a report, we'll be glad to report uh, that there was a woman in your room with you when this happened, which, of course, was false. But basically saying no need to report unless that's what you want the report to say. So the pastor said, so I'm just warning you, be careful. Well, my wife was not too happy at that point. When we got back to the room, she whispered, I thought you said there wouldn't be any problem. I said, well, there's not because I have you with me. They can't, do, they can't say I have a woman in my room because you're here. We're, we're protected because of you. So that's why I take her most everywhere is that. <laughs> now, that's from a long time ago. But, and that's just part of the story. But those kind of stories are still happening today with our missionaries and with our national leaders. So I'm telling you a safe story from many years ago. And I could spend the rest of the night telling you those stories. But I'm just trying to point out to you that sometimes you just have to say, if that's what the Lord said to do, I'm going to do it. And I will trust him. Now, you're all aware about the war in Ukraine, right? Well, you know, we have churches in Ukraine, strong churches. I preached in Odessa five years ago. Eleven people received the Holy Ghost Sunday morning. Some of their... Um, some of their musicians are part of the National Orchestra for Ukraine. Uh, we have a pastor in the city of Kiev, and our leaders, I, I preached there years ago. I preached there more than one occasion, but one night, it must have been about 2002 or three. they had the national elections, the first national elections since the fall of communism. And it was a pro-communist candidate versus a Democratic candidate. And as the results came out, the pro-communist was winning, but it was obviously fraudulent because of the where the votes were coming from. And I watched outside my hotel room in the downtown square of Kiev as crowds of people began to gather to protest. And they were wearing orange, which was the symbol of the Democratic candidate. And that was what was called the beginning of the Orange Revolution. So I was wondering, are the police going to crack down? I'm supposed to fly out the next morning. So I got up as early as I could, got to the airport as soon as I could, boarded my flight, and got out of the country. But that was when Ukraine was able to withdraw from communism. And so we have strong churches in Ukraine. 
Our leader has told us, Pastor Sergey and his father, they've seen missiles coming their way. At the last moment, the missiles turn away for unknown reasons. They believe it's angelic protection. They believe it's the prayers of the church. They have over 300 people coming to the church in Kiev right now. It's not big enough, so they're putting them in different rooms with monitors. And he's found a place. He's trying to raise money to build a sanctuary to seat 500 because he says people are hungry for God. And soon this Russia, they believe Russia is going to be defeated. They were saying this from the beginning, that Russia was going to be defeated. And they believe God is giving a window of opportunity for great revival. One testimony, the worship leader in Kiev, husband and wife team, they've got 12 kids from Adults down to age four. So when the war broke out, the father stayed in Kiev. He sent the wife and 12 kids to a small village where they would be safe. If you follow the stories, everybody said that in three or four days, the capital, Kiev, would be overtaken. It still hasn't been overtaken. But instead, the Russian army surrounded it at that time and captured a lot of the villages, including the village where the family was trying to hide. So they have a testimony of watching the Roman soldiers come as they hid in the house. They heard the gunshots. They looked out the window and saw neighbors being killed by Russians. They, saw, they heard the screams of women as they were brutalized. So they huddled in their house. Well, they ran out of food and couldn't get any food past the Russian line. So the mom went to the bin of food where the last grain was, flour, whatever she had, I don't know. And she made a last meal for the family. But the next day, there was still no supply of food. So she just went back again in the cupboard, and there was just a little more for enough for one last meal. So she made one last meal for the family. The next day, she made one last meal for the family. The next day, she made one last meal for the family. They went over one week, a family of 13, living on their last meal each day. Praise God. I'm talking about 2022. Finally, they did run out. Sometimes that does happen. Happened with Elijah, didn't it? And so she made her decision. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to confront the soldier. She walked out and confronted the soldier that was guarding the entrance to their home. And she said, sir, I have a family, 12 kids. Please. Let us go. The soldier looked at her in the eye and said, I'm not your enemy, but I can't let you go. This village is surrounded by mines. If I let you walk out of here, you'd all be blown up. He said, get your family, put them in one line, and follow me. He led them two kilometers through the minefields to the other side. said, see in the distance, there are, there are your soldiers. If you can make that front line, you're going to be okay. And that's the story of how our worship leaders in the city of Kiev were delivered from the war in Ukraine. Sometimes you just got to follow the Lord. And so I'm challenging you tonight. We're in peaceful St. John, New Brunswick, Canada. We're the most peaceful nations in the whole world. So you're not facing communism you're not facing an invasion but you are facing the enemy you are facing the devil and God is challenging us to make the same commitment that he expects of my parents years ago of he expects of the Bulgarians years ago of he expects of the Ukrainians this year Fellow people baptized in Jesus name filled with the Holy Ghost believing in holiness believing in worship we're those same people. That's us. What are we going to do? God is calling us. This weekend, I challenge you. Whatever God, be, be sensitive to the voice of God. Be listening to the voice of God. More than your friends. More than your family. Of course, if your family is in church, God can speak to husband and wife, and they can look at each other and say, we got a confirmation. God is capable of doing that. So whatever it may mean, I think all of us should respond in some form or fashion. We all want to give to missions. We know that's part of it. But it's not only about giving financially. 
But it's about being a soul winner. About sharing your testimony. You say, I can't give a Bible study. You can tell what God did for you, right? You can read Acts 2.38, right? You can play a video, right? You can, you can do something to say, look what the Lord has done for me. Look what the Lord has done for my family. This is my story. This is my testimony. I think we can reach out of our comfort zone. We can make a friend or acquaintance. We can make a difference in somebody's life. God is calling somebody to be a prayer warrior. God is calling somebody to be an intercessor. God is calling somebody to be a soul winner. God is calling somebody to be a giver. God is saying to us today, follow me. Let's stand together right now. Follow me. I don't know what it means for you, but I think the Lord is talking to you. Would you close your eyes? story that Brother Jones told me is, is forcibly in my attention right now. As he said, God asked him the simple question, how many times do I need to tell you? How many times should I need to tell you? Maybe we didn't always respond the first time, but God is merciful and gracious. He's not trying to be vindictive, but he is trying to get our attention. And he does want us to follow him because that's the best path for us. His way is always the best way. Whatever he asks us to give up, he restores much more abundantly in other ways. Whatever we sacrifice, it's only a sacrifice from our human perspective. From the divine and eternal perspective, we receive so much more than we ever get. We receive a hundredfold in this life. You know, the money we have, the car we drive, the clothes we wear, in a couple years it won't matter. It doesn't really even matter now. But if we win a soul, or if our contribution helps support someone being saved, we're going to meet that person in eternity. So the new clothes we have in a few years won't matter. But the soul we influence to live for God will be a joy for eternity. So the Lord says, how many times should I talk to you? The Lord says to us, just as he did the Apostle Peter, so what if another person seems to be blessed more than you? What difference does it make? So what if it seems you have to sacrifice more than the others? What difference does it make? I want you to follow me. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.